It is so good to be with you here this morning. It's so good to have you at the river. We're going to be in John chapter 4 this morning. One of my um one of my personal favorite stories of the Bible. And uh so we're just excited to dive in this morning in John chapter 4. We're going to be picking it up in first verse 1 and so if you haven't been here in a little bit or it's your first uh, time here today, we've been kind of rolling through the book of John. So we've been going through uh, the gospel of John and we've seen just, we've really just been kind of following Jesus's life. And it's been really neat. Like we've, we've been seeing some pretty cool stuff, don't you think? Like there's, like Jesus has been doing some pretty cool stuff. We saw uh, in the beginning of John where he kind of started to pick up some disciples and he started to get some followers. You remember what he said to them when they were, they were questioning, they weren't sure who he was. They were trying to find out who this Jesus was. And you remember what he told to him, told them, come and see. If you want to know who I am, come and see. And then he said, remain in me. And so we kind of follow along as Jesus picked up some disciples. We watched as he turned the water into wine and said, I've come to be, bring the new wine skins. We saw as he flipped over the tables at the temple and said, you guys are messing this thing up. But he said, I've come to bring the new temple. I've come to tear this thing down and rebuild it in three days. We saw as he talked with Nicodemus, the Jewish rabbi and the, the, the Jewish leader, and they had this deep conversation about what does it mean to be born again? What is this born again? And they had this incredible conversation about salvation. And then last week, we had, saw something pretty interesting as we watched as uh, Jesus and John the Baptist did some ministry together. And so John the Baptist and Jesus, they're hanging out, they're baptizing together, they're doing ministry together. And we saw jealousy rear its ugly head, didn't we? We watched, as, we watched as John's disciples were getting jealous because Jesus was starting to get all the followers. And we talked about what jealousy does to us, man. If you remember, overall, what jealousy does to us is jealousy makes us stupid. <laughs> jealousy makes us do stupid things, right? And we talked about how uh, <laughs> they're upset, they're getting jealous of Jesus because he came to save, he came to bring life, he came to bring forgiveness of sin, he came to restore the relationship between God and man, and John the Baptist's disciples were upset because he was being successful at that. <laughs> More successful than them, they were getting jealous. And so we kind of saw his jealousy reared its ugly head, just kind of how dumb that can be. And so this week we're going to pick up in John chapter 4, and kind of what's going on right before we got here is Jesus has, has left John the Baptist. Uh, he's kind of starting to fear for his arrest. And so John the Baptist actually is just, this, at this point in history, he just was arrested by the Pharisees. And um, so because of Jesus' popularity and because of uh, kind of John the Baptist's arrest, Jesus is kind of running away. Not, well, not run away. He's kind of getting out of there because it's not time for him to be arrested yet. So it's, it's kind of an interesting time because at this point, through the book of John, Jesus had been working mainly in the Jewish culture or with Jewish people. And so we're going to see today as he kind of steps outside of that context into a different culture and begins to kind of minister and do ministry to a different people and to outside of his world. And so what we're going to kind of see today is this story take an interesting turn and a really interesting conversation is about to happen. And what we're going to see is this incredible conversation that takes place in a place where Jesus should have never been talking to a person he should have never been talking to. And it's pretty cool. So let's jump in. John chapter 4, verse 1 
said, when Jesus knew that the Pharisees heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went to Galilee. And he had to travel through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about six in the evening, and a, Samaritan, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me drink, Jesus said to her. For his disciples had gone to the town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, Ask me, ask, excuse me, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him. For Jews did not associate with the Samaritans. So here we have Jesus starting to kind of flee from his arrest, getting, trying to get away. He comes up to this place. He comes to this well where there's this woman uh, hanging out at the well. He comes to her and he asks her for a drink. And if you, if you were paying attention, you saw that she's amazed at the fact that he would even ask her for a drink of water. He says, how is it that you would talk to me? And it points out that Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. And that's a pretty strong word there, associate. Right? Like, I'm not even going to associate with you. And she's amazed that he's talking to her for good reason, actually. For, for a couple of good reasons, I'm going to point out. But essentially what it boils down to is Jewish people and Samaritans, they didn't get along with each other. They didn't, they didn't like each other, and it kind of goes back, they had a lot of history together. And it goes way back into the Old Testament, and, and I'm going to just kind of give you kind of a little synopsis of kind of what happened to make them not like each other. But back in the Old Testament, if you remember King David, King Saul, Solomon, all those guys, they were kings over uh, the Israelite kingdom. And at a certain point in history, the Israelite kingdom was broken into two kingdoms. And so what you have is the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And so they're still, they're still the same kingdom, but they're kind of broken up into two separate kingdoms. So even though they're the same, they're not, right? And so at a certain point, the Assyrian Empire comes in and they conquer the northern kingdom. And so when they conquered the northern kingdom, the Assyrians, they did this. It was really a genius, genius tactic. And something that they did to keep uh, the people that they conquered from fighting back, what they would do is they'd exile them. And so they came in and they took a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of uh, the Jewish people that were living in the northern kingdom, which was Samaria, the area of Samaria, and they moved them out of their home and took them to other places. And the reason why they did that was because if you're not living in your home anymore, you're not going to be fighting for your home anymore. Does that make sense? And so they would kind of misplace them. So they were living in a place that didn't feel like home, didn't look like home. I have no reason to uprise because this isn't my home anymore. I'm away from my home. And so they would take the majority of the, the people that were living in that land away to a different place. And then they would take people from other conquered empires and move them into that place. So what you have is kind of a, a remnant of people living in the northern empire, mixed of uh, the Jewish people mixed with other conquered people from the Assyrian empire. And so they would do this, and what happened was, over time, these two people started to become one. Kind of a normal thing, you would think, but, but what would happen is the cultures begin to mix together, and the real problem, what the Jewish people had, the real problem the Jewish people had with this is they didn't just mix cultures, but they begin to mix kind of religions. And so what you see begin to happen uh, with the Jewish people that were still remaining there, with the, the conquered other people that were living there, was kind of become this distortion of the Jewish religion in this area. And so you have kind of the southern kingdom looking down on the people from that area, looking down on the people in the northern kingdom because 
they were, they, in their minds, distorting their religion, making it impure, and so they kind of hated them for that and looked down on them for that. And so over time, you have this rivalry that arises, and those people that they looked down on ultimately were the Samaritans, the Samaritan people. And so for that reason, like, they hated each other. The Jewish people looked down on them because they, they, in their minds they had distorted their faith. They hated them. So much so that they were used against each other in wars. Like when Alexander the Great came through and conquered the region, he set up base camp in Samaria because he knew the Jewish people and the Samaritans hated each other and he could use the Samaritans against the Jewish people. Isn't that crazy? So much so that uh, like a good Jewish person would never actually travel through Samaria. They would go all the way around Samaria if they had to travel somewhere. So they would add days to their journey if it meant not having to go through Samaria. This is a little bit of a rivalry, don't you think? This is a little bit more than just Texans and New Yorkers not liking each other, right? There's some history here. They didn't like each other so much that they would take the long way around so... Essentially, what Jesus is sitting in front of at this well, this woman that he talks to is a woman that's bearing the history, the language, the religion, the attitude of a people that a good Jewish person would despise. A first century reader would look at this text, would look at this scripture, and would be surprised that Jesus even acknowledged her, much less talked to her. Like, she, in their mind, she shouldn't even get a, how's it going? Not even a head nod. Like, she doesn't exist to them, right? So that was the first barrier that Jesus had was this racial barrier. He shouldn't have even been there. Secondly, was a gender barrier. If, if, you, well, if you were to read ahead, you'd see in verse 27 that when the disciples come back with food, it says that they're amazed that Jesus is talking to this woman. It doesn't say they were amazed that he was talking to a Samaritan, which you would have thought would be the bigger deal. It says that they were amazed that he was talking to a woman. Why is that? The reason, the reason why is because according to Jewish tradition and written law, it was forbidden for a single man to be talking casually to a single woman in public. Like Jesus was breaking the rules here, people. <laughs> Jesus, you're supposed to know better. <laughs> you're supposed to know better than this, Jesus. Rabbis taught that, and this is, not, is you know, kind of hurtful. Rabbis taught that the- theological education was for men alone. They, so Jesus is going to sit here and he's going to have a conversation with her about deep, deep spiritual truths, things that he was taught he wasn't supposed to do. Theological education was for men alone to teach women and their mindset about uh, spiritual things was a waste of time and profaning sacred things. That kind of hurts your feelings, doesn't it? A little bit. I mean, if you're a woman, you're men are like, I don't care. No, I'm just kidding. You better care. <laughs> but in this culture, it was almost an insult for Jesus to be talking to her. No self-respecting rabbi in the first century would have been speaking to a woman in this setting. And yet here we have Jesus from the outset busting down barriers. Don't you love that about Jesus? Like, I feel like if I'm just talking about me, I'm just going to make this all about me for a second. <laughs> y'all, love, y'all love that when I do that, right? We'll make this about me. But I do that so often in my life where I put up these artificial barriers for Jesus. Like he wants to move in my life or he wants to do something in my life or he wants to change something in my life. And I put up these fake, well, you know, Jesus, I can't. And and what we do is we put up the barriers and we use good reasons for it, right? 
logical reasons for it. Well, Jesus, I mean, you know, you wouldn't want me to reach these people because of this, 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 and this. And Jesus is like, I don't care. I'm about to blow this thing open. And I love that about Jesus because I think that in, in his sense of humor, he's probably looking down and you're like, Jesus, there's this barrier. You can't do that. And he's like, Mike, that's cute. That's really sweet that you want to do that. Boom, now go, right? I feel like Jesus, I don't, I don't know, it's just me, but I feel like he kind of delights in blowing down our barriers that we put up, our dumb barriers. And so here comes Jesus busting down barriers in a place he shouldn't be, talking to a woman he shouldn't be talking to. <laughs> and that's why you can hear the surprise in her voice when she says, how is it that you would ask me for water? It's not that she's surprised that Jesus would ask her for a drink. It's that she's surprised and amazed that he would ask her for anything. So here's Jesus in a place he shouldn't be, busting down barriers, talking to a woman he shouldn't be talking to. Why? I mean, again, doesn't Jesus know the rules? Doesn't he know that he's not supposed to be doing this? Why is he doing this, man? Verse 10, Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, You don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. So where are you going to get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it from himself, as did his sons and livestock. So she starts off asking Jesus, well, how are you even talking to me? And Jesus is like, forget about that. That's, that doesn't matter. We're going to have this conversation. If you, if you understood who I was, who the gift of God standing in front of you, you would be asking me for a drink of water. And she responds kind of like we would, right? Uh, Jesus, you ain't got a bucket, man. Where is this water? How are you going to get this water? Right? I mean, she's, she's pragmatical, right? Pragmatic. <laughs> But Jesus isn't talking about the physical water, is he? And I love this. I think it's interesting that Jesus says, calls it living water, right? Because they're, they're at a well, which a well isn't living water. What living water is was moving water. Living water is a stream. Living water is a river. Get it? It's living because it's moving. It's active, right? And living water was sacred. Living water was special. Living water, um, for example, in the, in the ceremonial law, uh, they were only allowed to use living water in a lot of the different uh, things that they would do. It was only that like, they could use in like special ceremonies and ritual waters. They had or ritual washings. They had to use living water. Living water was sacred. Living water was special. And Jesus is standing in front of her in a place that doesn't have living water saying, I'm here to offer you this special, this sacred thing to you. And it's kind of a big deal because in Samaria, there was no living water for miles and miles and miles. And so she's standing in, or he's standing in front of her offering her something that she's going, how are you even going to get this? Like one, you don't have a bucket. So that's just weird. But two, there's no living water for miles. Like, do you know about something that I don't know about? Do you know about something that none of these, the people that live here knows about? Like, she's, she's kind of trying to figure out, like, what are, you, how, what are you talking about, man? But she's stuck on the metaphor, and Jesus is, he's not talking about the physical. He's, he's talking about the spiritual significance. Jesus isn't here to offer her physical water. He's here to offer her Spiritual water, water for her soul, water that is life. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from the water will get thirsty again. Verse 14, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never thirst again, ever. In fact, I will, 
excuse me, in fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. Love that. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw again. Jesus is using the physical as a metaphor for the spiritual. He's talking about water that leads to satisfaction. He's talking about water that leads to life. He's talking about water. He's talking about something that eliminates thirst. He's talking about water that, that leads to eternal life. Jesus is talking about salvation, being filled with the Holy Spirit. He's talking about a relationship with him, something that springs up in our souls, living water for your soul. And she doesn't know exactly what he's talking about. Like, she's not totally there yet, right? She doesn't, she can't wrap her mind around all of this yet. She doesn't know exactly where he's going, but she's getting the picture that he's talking about something special, right? She gets the picture that something's going on here, and, but, and she understands, I may not understand all of this, but I understand I want that. This living water that you're talking about, I want that. And I think that's so true in in our own relationships with God sometimes. And what I mean with about that, it doesn't really matter where you are in your relationship with God. Like, if you're not a Christian and you're kind of starting to experience God, starting to know more about God, or you've been doing this thing for 30 years, sometimes you have that moment where you're going, I don't really understand everything that's happening here. <laughs> I don't understand everything that's going on with me, but I understand that it's changing me. I understand that something's happening. I understand that I like it, and I understand I want more of it. To quote achy breaky heart, <laughs> I like it, I love it, and I want some more of it. I'm sorry, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> a lot of us, when we start to experience God, we don't know exactly what's happening, but we know it's good and we know we want more of it. And as you press into him, as you get to know him more, as you chase him more and have a, your relationship with him grows, you begin to understand him more and he begins to open your eyes to more and more spiritual truth, right? And that's what's happening here is this woman, she doesn't know everything that's going on, but she knows she wants this water. And she knows that she needs this water she understands that it brings life. So here she is. Jesus offers her this living water. She says, I want it. Give it to me. And then Jesus does something really weird. <laughs> something that's like you wouldn't teach in Evangelism 101. Here, let's read it. Verse 16. So she says, give me this water. And Jesus says, go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. This just got real, didn't it? <laughs> like, like, Jesus, what are you doing, man? Like, you're setting her up. You're, like, telling her about this living water. You're telling her about salvation. She says, I, I want it. Like, you're supposed to give her the Roman road. You're supposed to get her to pray the prayer. You're supposed to lock her down, man. You're not supposed to talk about sin. <laughs> You're not, what are you doing, man? Like, in this moment, we just learned a whole lot more about this woman, something I left out in the beginning, another reason why Jesus should have never been talking to her in the first place. She was an outcast. She was alone. She was on her own. And the reason why was because she was this very, well, she had a reputation, man. She was this very sexually promiscuous woman. And, and Jesus, you know, the way he says it, you've been married five times, now you're, you know, you're with this guy that's not your husband. And, 
and it's kind of hard to understand exactly what's happening because like in this culture at this time period, women actually couldn't get a divorce except for like extremely, extremely, extremely like special circumstances. So we don't know exactly everything that's happening. We Some people think maybe she was a prostitute. We don't know that for sure. But one thing that we do know for sure is that she was a social outcast in her culture. And the reason why was because she was this very sexually promiscuous woman. <laughs> Another reason Jesus should have never been talking to her, right? What are you doing, Jesus? Don't you know who she is? Don't you have a reputation to keep up, man? You're a rabbi, bro. You can't be doing this. Why is Jesus doing this? Like, not not why is he talking to her, but why is he talking to her about this? Like, why is it when she says, I want this water, he goes here with it? Like, it seems like he's taking this hard left turn, doesn't it? (laughs) Like, he seems like he's pushing her away, but he's not. <laughs> he's talking to this, this woman about the truth. She's wanting to know more. And what Jesus does is he goes after her heart. He points to her sin. He points to her pain. And the reason why he does it, because, like, I would read this. I remember reading this over and over and being like, why are you, what are you doing? But the reason why he does this is because it's there. And I know that that sounds like oversimplification, but it's there and it's keeping her from him. He's not admonishing her. He's not embarrassing her. He's not calling her out. He's, he's addressing her sin for what it is. And what he's saying is this thing in your life is keeping you from true life. Jesus goes for the heart. Jesus presses in and Jesus challenges and says, this has to change, not to hurt her, not to embarrass her because he loves her. And because it's keeping her from hope, it's keeping her from life. See, the thing about our sin, whether you've been in this thing for 30 years or you're a brand new Christian, our sin separates us and destroys and affects our relationship with God. And so Jesus is saying, this thing right here, it's keeping you from me. It separates you from me, so we must deal with it. See, salvation begins. Part of the process of salvation comes when we acknowledge that we are sinners. We're lost in need of the Savior. Without his healing, without his transformation, without his forgiveness of our sin, there is no hope. And so here's this woman saying, I want life. And Jesus says, fine, I have it for you. Let's talk about the sin that's hurting you. Let's acknowledge it. Let's let you know that you need life. And that the only way for you to find true healing is to deal with it. Push in on it. Cut it out, man. And so Jesus addresses her sin because he loves her deeply. And then secondly, this is kind of cool, because he wants to show her who he is. Like, he's not just some random guy. Like, Jesus is walking and saying, I know who you are because I'm God. I know who you are. I know your sin. I know your failures. And I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. The whole world can tell me I shouldn't be here talking to you. I shouldn't be here caring about you because of who you are, but I'm still here and I'm not going anywhere. I'm not those men who have hurt you. I'm not those men who have used you and cast you out. I'm not those people who talk about you behind your back, who look down on you, who hate you. I'm God in the flesh and I'm here because I love you and I'm here to save you. I'm here to heal you. And I'm not going anywhere. I'm here to offer hope and life, and salvation. I'm not going anywhere. I think that 
at this point, many of us might be running the other way, right? Like if we're in a situation and we just meet this random person, they walk up and they're like, Mike, I love you. Now let me tell you about your deepest, darkest secret sins that you've told no one. You know what I'm doing? <laughs> if nothing else, like the punch and run, stomach punch, and then I'm out. I don't want anybody talking about that stuff. I don't want anybody bringing that stuff up to me. <laughs> I'd be out of there. But that's not what she does, is it? As a matter of fact, she presses in for more. She's a brave woman. She's, she's kind of a hero of mine. She's pretty cool. Verse 9, or 19, excuse me. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you're a prophet. Our, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, yet you, you Jews say that the place of worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And something really cool happens. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I am he, Jesus told her, the one speaking to you. That's pretty cool, man. Jesus just uncovered the deepest, darkest parts of her heart, and she doesn't respond by running away. Instead, she presses in. Are you a prophet? I, I, you, like she knows there's something special about this guy. You're, you're a prophet. And then she kind of does what a lot of us do. And I won't, I won't break it down too much, but essentially she starts talking about church stuff, right? So we go, all right, I know there's something about God. I want to be a Christian. Like there's something special here, but does that mean I have to go to church every Sunday? Do I have to join a small group? Like, can I still drink? Like, how do we need to work this out? Right? And we kind of do that. We start asking all these religious questions, trying to figure out exactly what it's going to take for me to be a Christian or trying out the truth. And Jesus is like, man, blow all that out of the water, right? Not that it's not important, but it's just not that important right now. <laughs> he says, there's some more things I need to reveal to you, some more things we need to talk about, some more things we need to do. And so she kind of asks a bunch of good religious questions, and Jesus says, let's brush those to the side. What he essentially responds to her with is, there's going to be an hour coming where all of you will worship in spirit and truth, and in that spirit and truth, you will worship me. That's kind of his response. And then I think she gets it. Because she begins to, like, you can almost hear it in her voice when she, like, like it's a question. Like, she's looking at him, she's going, all right, I know you're special. I know there's something about you going on. I know there's something here. And it's almost like she's asking him, like, so the, the Messiah's coming. And it's almost like she's asking him, is this you, the, the, the Messiah is coming, the one who will reveal all of this to us? And then some of the most life-changing words ever spoken in the Bible, I am he, the one speaking to you. That's so awesome, man. Could you imagine, like, just starting your day, I'm just going to get some water. <laughs> and you meet the Savior of the world the life changer, the one who, man, if you can think about the drudgery of her life, she's an outcast, she's lost, she's alone. She's just going to get water, man, just trying to get it through another day. 
the one who provides life. It's beautiful. So how does she respond to that? Verse 27, just then the disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her jar, water jar, the reason why she was there in the first place, left her water jar, went into town and told the men, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left their town and made their way to him. And many of those people got saved. Many of those people gave their lives to Jesus. She confesses Jesus as the Messiah. She runs to tell the town. They make their way to him and their lives are changed forever. This is an incredible story, people. This is a beautiful story about Jesus walking into a place he shouldn't have been, crushing barriers, changing this woman's life. She confesses him as God and then God using her life to change the world using her life to change her town, her city. And think about this, used her life to change our lives today because we're sitting in a movie theater turned church talking about it. She's still impacting today, man. It doesn't matter where you are or how lost you've been. God redeems and he saves and he transforms and he heals and he turns it around and he uses your life. And if you're here today, know he can and will do that for you. That's amazing, man. There's so much that can change our lives from this story. I think about it from the perspective of our church. Like, what can we learn from this as a church? What can we take from this? How can this change our church? And, you know, I begin this kind of talk, talking about how Jesus shouldn't have been there in the first place, right? Jesus wasn't supposed to be in Samaria. Jesus shouldn't have been talking to that woman like, you get it. You know, I've been drilling it in your heads, right? You're like, we get, we know, Mike, we know. He shouldn't have been there, okay. But he shouldn't have been there according to who? His society, his leadership, the church, essentially. The society that he was in said Samaritans were trash. The society he was in said Samaritans were dirty, that women weren't worth your time, that women weren't good enough to hear these spiritual truths, especially this promiscuous woman. Are you crazy? Yet where do we find Jesus? Right in the middle of it. Why is it that the spiritual leadership of the time had so many problems with Jesus? Because the people he was always hanging out with were the people that they said nobody should hang and be hanging out with. They, where do we constantly find Jesus in the midst of the drunks, in the midst of the prostitutes, in the midst of the tax collectors? Hello, tax season. Better watch out. Just kidding. Uncle Sam. We constantly find him in the middle of the people that everybody else says is worthless, everybody else says aren't good enough, Everybody else says, aren't worth your time. We constantly see Jesus hanging out with these dirty, rotten, good-for-nothing people. (laughs) Why? Why? It's actually really simple. Because he loves them, and because he created them, and because they were lost, and they needed their father, they needed their savior, And he steps in the midst to offer them hope and life, no matter where they are. He came to set them free from the bondage that's entangled them. And I think that even today, our culture does this to us sometimes, right? 
tries to put us in a box and it tries to tell even the church who we should and shouldn't be ministering to, who we should and shouldn't be hanging out with, the places that we shouldn't go. Like I was, I was having a coffee with um, a lady this week who uh, she does uh, mentoring. She sets up mentoring in different schools and stuff. So I was talking to her about how we could be a part of that. And um, she was telling me a story about a church that she was a part of. And she has a real heart for kids who are kind of disenfranchised, kids who are in uh, really bad economic situations. And so she started this apartment ministry. And in this apartment ministry, they, her and her husband like bought a bus and they would bus the kids from these really low-income apartments to their church. And they would come on Wednesday nights and they'd eat like the meal. They'd have like a meal and stuff. And, and so these kids are there playing basketball, eating the meal and, and like having a good time, you know, in church. And then after a few months of this, the church elders called her into a meeting and said, hey, uh, we need to stop this. These kids, they're just, they're just not good kids. We don't want them kind of hanging out with our kids. And, and they're, you know, they're eating the meals and, and they're eating the meals and they're not paying for the meals. You know, they don't have any money to pay for the meals. And so we need to just kind of stop, chill, you know, chill out with this and, and not do this. And she looked at me and she said, if these kids can't be in the church, like what does the church exist for, man? And I, I really respect her because what she said was, that's fine, but I'm going to bust them to another church, and that's where me and my family are going to be. And she did. <laughs> that's, that's another hero right there. But I think our culture looks at us and, and kind of tells us sometimes there's people that we shouldn't spend our time on, the ones that society says aren't worth it. And so as a church, what I think we should do is step back and ask our question, Ask the question, what is the Samaria for us today at the River Church? Who are the people that are disenfranchised? Who are the people that, that maybe society says are too ter- dirty or too dangerous or maybe they're just too messy, right? Because you start talking about, you know, gender identity and homosexuality and all those kind of things and, tra- and it starts getting messy and dirty and scary and it's easier to just step back and not deal with it, right? And I want to say this about the rivers, that I want us to be a place where ethnicity, history, gender, sexual preference aren't barriers to us bringing people to Jesus. Because the truth doesn't change, right? Like we're not changing the truth or the message. But those very same people who get forgotten because sometimes the message is too hard and we don't want to speak the truth about sin to them, so we'd rather just forget them and not reach out to them. Those same people, they need that living water too. And they're God's children too. And he loves them too. And he wants to set them free too. And so I want us to be a brave church. I want us to be a church that will step into the gap and say, I know it's messy. And I know it's dangerous. And I know it's scary. And I know maybe the world says it's not worth it. But we're going to step in there anyways. And we're going to try to be brave anyways. And we're going to try to love people anyways. And we're going to try to bring them to Jesus and hope that he changes their lives and transforms their lives. That's who we want to be. And I think we learn that because Jesus just gave us a fantastic example of it. Don't you think? Walking into a place he shouldn't have been, talking to a woman that like, I'm telling you, I know I'm, I'm beating this dead horse, but like his society, like he was breaking all the rules just by talking to a woman, man. And he didn't care because he cared about her soul more than he cared about stupid rules. 
I like that about Jesus. I'm kind of I like to break rules too. Just the bad ones though. Just the bad ones. <laughs> I think there's a lot that we learn from this woman too. She's in, she's an incredible man. She's living on this this isolated woman. She's on the outskirts. She has a reputation. She's alone. And if you remember, we talked about Nicodemus a few weeks back. And Nicodemus was this Jewish leader, this Jewish rabbi who came in. And he was talking to Jesus because he had questions too. He wanted to know the truth too. But the difference between her and Jesus was he came launching questions. She came looking for answers. She came looking for hope. And so when Jesus talked to Nicodemus, he just launched more questions. When When he talked to her, she responded by calling him the Messiah. And I think the difference between the two people wasn't their backgrounds. I think the difference was the attitude that they came to Jesus with. And I think that as Christians and people today, that's something that we can learn from, that the way that we approach Jesus, the way we go to the cross, the way that we come to Jesus matters with a humble heart ready to hear, hear his voice. Like when Jesus pressed in, And Jesus challenged her. She didn't run away. She kept pursuing. And here's the thing is following Jesus can be hard sometimes, right? Hard because he's going to push in on some areas that you don't want him to push in on sometimes. He's going to reveal some things about your heart that you don't want him to reveal sometimes. Like you just rather be like, Jesus, just leave that alone, man. (laughs) Let's leave that alone. Let's work on that in a couple years when I'm ready. But Jesus says, let's address this now because it's sin and it needs to get dealt with and it's keeping you from me. But it's because he loves you. Jesus wasn't there to judge her, to look down on her, to condemn her. Jesus was there to bring her life. And it's the same thing in your relationship with him. When he reveals sin in your heart, when he reveals things to you, he's not there to judge you, to condemn you, to look down, but he's there to change you. He's there to heal you, and he's here to transform you. And just like it changed this woman's life, it will change your life. So when he presses in, don't run. Do what he says. (laughs) Do what he says, and it will heal your soul. When you choose not to run, you meet Jesus. You hear Jesus. And the transformation is real. Like, think about how she responded. This woman just ran back into a town full of men that she had slept with, full of women who hated her, who had talked about her behind her back, who looked down on her. And she ran to them and said, the Messiah is here. Like, she was there getting water at a time when no one else would be there because she was too ashamed to be around other people in the town. And yet we see her after she meets Jesus running into town to share the word. And one of the most incredible parts of this story is that they listen to her. (laughs) Like they must have been shocked. Like, I can't believe she's saying this. This is amazing that she's even talking to us. Like, doesn't she know who she is? We got to go find out if it's true or not, because there's no other reason she would be doing this, right? The transformation is real. Our attitude towards Jesus is real. And so I just want to kind of, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to close with this, man. We want to be a church that pursues the Samarias in our world, that pursues the people that, that maybe the world says we shouldn't. We want, to be like, we want to be like Jesus, man. And then secondly, maybe you're in here today and you're feeling a little bit like this woman, right? Maybe you're feeling a little bit broken. Maybe you're looking for life. Maybe you're looking for hope. I want you to know that Jesus is here. 
and he's waiting for you with open arms. And he's here to offer you hope and he's here to offer you life and he's here to make you new. And he's here to transform your life. And so I want to challenge you today, run to him, pursue him. Let's, let's pray and let's worship him for his goodness today. Father, I love you. Thank you so much for who you are, Lord. Thank you so much that you're a God, that you're the one who runs to the brokenhearted, that you're the God who comes to the one who is hurting and in pain and lost and feels alone, and you run to them and you say, not only are you worth it, but I pursue you, I love you, I chase you down because I want nothing more than to heal you and to bring you life. Father, help us to be a church that follows your example. And Jesus Lord, if there's anyone in here today who's feeling that brokenness, if there's anyone in here today who's feeling that pain, who can relate with this woman, God, heal them, Father. Lord, help them to to meet with you today, Jesus. Reveal yourself to them, God. Let them drink from the water of life, Lord. Let them see the Savior. In Christ's name, amen.